It's the Michelle the Trainer Show with your host, Michelle the Trainer. Michelle the Trainer. MTT is Michelle the Trainer. Aloha and welcome to episode 21 of the Michelle the Trainer Show. Today's very special guest star is Jules Farrell. Joining us from Sydney, Australia, Jules is the lead coordinator for Sea Shepherd Sydney Chapter in Australia. She's an offshore crew member, the ship's medic quartermaster on the MV Sam Simon for Operation Zero Tolerance, and she's done much, much more. Please make sure that you've listened to episode nine of my show with Jules when we discuss the Sea Shepherds in general, minke whales, and her involvement with them. Today, on episode 21, we'll learn about Sea Shepherd's global campaigns, Operation Ice Fish 1 and 2, the Patagonian Toothfish, and the equipment they use on board the vessels, and honestly, we can't help but talk about more stuff. Today's show is a liquid hike show, meaning that its topics align with conservation slash nature slash scuba, you know, the same topics that you can visit on my site, liquidhike.com. The show notes are on liquidhike.com as well as michellethetrainer.com. This show has several links related to this on Liquid Hike, and they'll all be listed on both sites for your convenience. Just look for episode 21. I hope you enjoy this very informative interview as much as I did, and I want you to have a fantastic day. Thank you. Aloha, and welcome to the Michelle the Trainer Show. Today's very special guest star, and this is my first guest who's been on the show twice, is Jules Farrell, who works with Sea Shepherds Global and Sea Shepherds Australia. Jules, how are you? I'm very well today. Thank you, Michelle. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. So we're going to talk about the Patagonian toothfish. We have several topics to talk about. We want to talk about vessels, which are boats, and we're going to talk about the Southern Ocean, which is the ocean south of South America, between South America and Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of really interesting stuff going on down there. Jules, tell us about Operation Ice Fish and what it all means. Okie doke. Um, where at the moment we have um, our vessel, Steve Irwin, which is down in the Southern Ocean, uh, who is part of Operation Ice Fish 2. Which and is when, was, when was Operation Ice Fish 1? Operation Ice Fish 1 was from December 2014 to March, April 2015, where we had two vessels, the Bob Barker and the Sam Simon, searching for what we call the Bandit Six, which is six illegal Patagonian toothfish poaching vessels. Now, number one was extremely successful. We can go into that a little bit later. Um, but at the moment, we have number two going on, where we've got the Steve Irwin in the Southern Ocean and is now looking for the one and only left boat, which is the called the Viking. Okay, so let's recap. So the Sea Shepherds, a global operation and an Australian operation, and they also have a United States operation as well, which is going on in Mexico, but that's a whole different story. Because the Southern Ocean is next to New Zealand and Australia, Operation Ice Fish Campaign 
So the Sea Shepherds have different campaigns in different parts of the world. They're not trying to save the entire oceans in some general concept. They're successful because they choose, they create a campaign that can actually get results and work in a positive way for everybody involved. So Operation Ice Fish 1 was 2014 to 2015. Operation Ice Fish 2 is 2016. Operation Ice Fish 1 had two boats or vessels. Operation Ice Fish 2 only has one vessel. I want you guys to know that the show notes, there'll be several blog posts and links to the photos of Operation Ice Fish 1, to the history of the man Sam Simon who made the Sam Simon vessel possible. And then I did a fact narration on the Patagonian toothfish, on the fish itself, because I wanted to understand and I wanted other people to understand why this fish is important, why it's hunted. It's also called Chilean sea bass. Okay, Jules, now take it away. Patagonian toothfish, thing is, is that it is only found in one area in the world, and that's down in what we call the Shadowlands in Antarctica, which is a long way down in the Southern Ocean. Now, it's firstly, because it's being illegally poached, um, is a problem because it can take up to 48 years for them to, to grow and to live. They live for up to 48 years, and it takes them a long time to become sexually mature so they can reproduce. Now, these illegal poaching vessels which are going down there are basically raping this area of these fish. because It's not not just that, it's money. Tell them about the money. Oh, the money. All right. The money, for example, the Thunder, which was the mothership of the uh, Bandit Six, brought in approximately $76 million from illicit sales of Patagonian toothfish, otherwise known as Chilean sea bass, over the last decade. When you go to order, I talked about this in the narration video, when you order Chilean sea bass and you buy it in the store at a restaurant, you are actually getting a Patagonian toothfish, which grows to well over six feet long. It's a very big fish. It is. It is very big fish. It is endangered and it is rare to anybody to see them, you know, besides on a plate or dead. Yeah. It was very hard to get photos for Mm. the narration because there are no photos that are not, you know, somebody's lunch, which was sort of a drag. Yeah, which is really sad. And also their natural food for the southern elephant elephant seals, for the giant squid, for the sperm whales, they're, they're crucial for... The environment, and it's just so sad to think of how many of them are being illegally poached. And with these illegal poaching vessels, the sad thing is, is that one out of four of the creatures that are caught in these atrocious gill nets, one is only a Patagonian toothfish. It's the other creatures, the bycatch, the crabs. The bycatch is what I call collateral damage in a way that we can understand that. And the animals that Jules mentioned, the sperm whales, the elephant seals, these are the animals that they're the ones that are supposed to be eating the Patagonian toothfish. So we're basically eating their food and then it gives them no food, which will put them into a threatened state as well. Exactly. We're, we're stealing their food from them, you know, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's very sad. It's like the krill. 
harvesting vessels that are going down and harvesting krill for krill oil and krill tablets. But that's another, that's another, oh, that's a whole another episode. So bandit six, let's go back to operation ice fish one, where mm-hmm. the sea shepherds, Australia went to the Southern ocean to chase mm-hmm. these poaching boats called the bandit six. And this was 2014, 2015. What were the names of the boats? We had the MV Bob Barker, um, which was captained by captain Peter Hammerstead. And we had the MV Sam Simon, which was captained by Sid Chakanuvatri. They were the two skippers of these vessels. And, and those an are the Sea Shepherd vessels, right? Yes, they are. They're, they're two of our vessels. And tell us a little bit about Sam Simon. That's such a wonderful man and story. Sam Simon, look, it makes me sad to think that he's no longer with us. Unfortunately, he passed away at a very young age. I think he was only 58 of cancer. I think it was two years or three years ago. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. He did so much for the environment. It wasn't just for the oceans. It was, you know, he saved bears and dogs and goodness knows what. But he actually gave us the money to be able to purchase our vessel, the Sam Simon. That's why we called it the Sam Simon. And he was actually, I did the campaign when we we purchased uh, the Sam Simon Zero Tolerance. And Sam Simon was actually supposed to come on this campaign because we just purchased this vessel thanks to Sam. But unfortunately, he was diagnosed with cancer just before we left for campaign. So he couldn't join us, which was very sad. Sam Simon is the co-creator of the the Simpsons television series. And also Cheers, that wonderful show as well, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh, Cheers. Yes, he actually did Cheers as well. I didn't Uh, know that. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, He was a wonderful man. Very talented man. Always had a big smile on his face. Always had a joke and a laugh, you know, right up until, you know, the day he passed. You know, he was a wonderful man and a a big loss. That's amazing. Mm. So the, the boats of the Bandit Six, the Viking is a remaining boat from that six? Yes, that is the one and only vessel that is left, and that is what the Steve Irwin is uh, is looking for. Um, we're also looking out for the Japanese whaling fleet as well because they are actually down in the Southern Ocean whaling as we speak. Okay, let's explain that a little bit. So international waters have mm-hmm. laws, and there's really nobody watching or enforcing these laws because they're just not. So... The Sea Shepherds, by assembling volunteers and vessels and being well-organized, are able to go to these areas and observe and report and actually chase. You can tell us about the poaching. What was the boat that chased the thunder? was the Bob Barker. So the Bob Barker in Operation Icefish 1 chased Mm -hmm. a poaching vessel called the Thunder. How far? Mm -hmm. We chased them for 10,000 nautical miles over two seas and three oceans for 110 days, non-stop, 24-7. And to get rid of the evidence at the end of that chase, what happened? The captain of the Thunder radioed through to the Bob Barker and said that they will need to be rescued because their boat was sinking. But he actually scuttled and, in other terms, sunk his own boat. When when a ship takes on water, the first thing you do is you close all the hatches. When we were fortunately enough before the ship actually sunk, and it sunk very quickly, we were able to get through crew members on board after we'd rescued crew members 
from the Thunder, which included the, the captain. Uh, they got on board. That's amazing. All the hatches were open. The crew had had, they'd packed all their bags. They'd taken everything they could. They got into the life rafts where we actually did save them and take them onto our ship. And we were able to retrieve evidence from the Thunder, which was laptops, mobile phones, and also some frozen Patagonian toothfish. That was the reason that we sent three crew members, which was quite dangerous because the ship was sinking, but we managed to get them on board in time and get them off so we could get this crucial evidence because this is why. And the, apparently the, um, the captain of the Thunder was seen on the aft deck or the, the, the back deck of the Thunder actually laughing that wow. the ship was down because he was trying to get rid of the evidence because he knew that he was going to get the book thrown at him which which he did when they were arrested and taken back and we have the photos thank you sea shepherd global i have the Mm. photos on the show notes so you can see last year's (laughs) so the poaching vessel sunk itself do you guys get that to sink the evidence yeah they didn't want the evidence to be seen and just to let the listeners know as well that people will think oh my god the environmental damage that was done with the ship going down there was very little environmental damage done because it was they were so low on fuel, they were basically running on the smell of an oily rag. And there was very, very little minor, minor oil slick in the water when the boat did go down because it virtually had no fuel on board. Well, I'm sure ghost nets are probably a more critical issue for ocean debris in that area. Let's talk a little bit about gill nets and boat equipment and explain some of this equipment to the listeners. Okay, where do I start? Gill nets. Gill nets, they're, they're frightening. They're dropped from the vessels, the illegal poaching vessels. They are dropped to the seafloor. They form huge mesh walls which can be many miles long and basically just capture any creature which is in that area. Above and, they, and below the water. Yes. Oh, yes. They below get the, the birds too. Oh, yes. They get the birds as well. Yes, they get the birds. They get the albatross. Very, very sad. And a The lot albatross of are endangered, right? They are. They're in serious strife at the moment, the albatross, not only from nets but also from plastics in the ocean. But that's another subject that we need to talk about later, Michelle. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> I should do another video. I'll probably get better pictures of the albatross than I did of the Patagonian toothfish. <laughs> Okay, so gill nets go above and below, and they're illegal, correct? Yes, they are. They're illegal. They're In the illegal. international ocean? Yes, they are. They're illegal because of, of the, the bycatch and just... It's they're just a nightmare. Collateral damage in that bycatch. That bycatch means anything. That bycatch means those nets can be left as trash and you and me can be swimming on the beach and we could get entangled. Whales get entangled. Dolphins get entangled. Turtles. Seals get entangled in them. You know, whales, that's how big they are. You know, whales get entangled in them. These illegal fishing boats tend to have a habit of just dumping them. That's what the Sam Simon retrieved from the Thunder when it dumped all its gill nets. Okay, so when the Sam Simon vessel approached the Thunder, how long was the net that they retrieved? Well, initially they retrieved 25 kilometres of illegal gill nets, but over the whole four months we retrieved 72 kilometres. 72 kilometres is 44.73 miles. Well, that's for you. Of nets. (laughs) Of nets, yes. Of nets, of lines, lines and nets, yes. 
That is like that's a lot. That's like it, a lot. there was so so much of this of these lines and nets that the whole aft deck or the back deck of the Sam Simon was chock a block full. You'll see in the pictures. Yeah, that they're Michelle, in the photos. It, it makes uh, the Sam Simon look like it's a fishing boat, but it's not. It's the nets that they retrieved from the coaching boats. Yeah, which they just dumped in the water. And if we Sam Simon hadn't have retrieved those lines and nets, well, then a lot of creatures would have been caught in them, such as whales and dolphins and seals, etc. And how do they retrieve them? Like what equipment is on these boats? Now, to retrieve the nets, they used... A capstan. A capstan is, it'd be good if you could have a look at the photos that Michelle will put up, but a capstan is a vertical axle rotating machine that is used to apply force to pull up ropes and nets. We use hydraulics to make this machine work and we also work in conjunction with mooring winches as well. Mooring winches are hydraulic winches that are used on boats for mooring, etc., for mooring lines. So we used the mooring winches and what we call the capstan. So a a mooring winch is a horizontal round winch and the capstan is a vertical winch. So we use those in conjunction to haul these the lines and the nets on board the Sam Simon. And they'd also made um, a, a tray. Uh, the crew on board the Sam Simon had actually made a tray, which when we hauled the nets on board and the lines on board, it would go onto this tray and they would get out what they could. Now, majority of the creatures that they... Bycatch. And also the Patagonian toothfish were were dead. It was very, very little that was alive. There were a few crabs that they got that were still alive that they put back in the ocean. But all they could really do was take evidence, um, uh, measure them. A lot of them were pregnant as well, mm. um, which, which is very sad. And we just threw them back into the ocean because there was nothing more we could do because they were already dead. But the thing that I want to explain to our listeners is that I take my hat off to the entire crew of both vessels, but the Sam Simon especially, because they worked four-hour shifts on and off 24-7 to retrieve all these lines. They worked in atrocious seas, in snow, in sleet, the smell was unbelievable. Remember, this is Antarctica. Right? Yeah, the smell of the decaying fish and the bycatch, oh. but with the nets, they were all wearing these what we call dry suits. They had to, at the end of the campaign, they had to, to just destroy them all because the smell was, there's no way you could wash them or clean them. And a lot of the crew that were not prone to seasickness were actually physically sick because of the smell of what they were bringing up from these lines and nets. I take my hat off to the crew that that actually did this. It was four months' worth of very hard work. I, I think it's awesome what they did. It was a very successful campaign. So Operation Ice Fish 2, did that already start? It's already started, yes. The ship left. It left just after Christmas and it is now down in the Southern Ocean looking for the Viking and also keeping an eye out for the Japanese whaling fleet who are down there at the moment hunting minke whales. Which they're not supposed to be doing that 
either. <laughs> no, no. We all know it's not scientific research. Uh, we all know that the International Court of Justice ruled in Australia's favour against the whaling fleet. Let's explain that a little bit. The International Court of Justice. Yep. We have international laws that govern international waters, including international seas and international oceans. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody saw Sea Shepherds featured on Animal Planet, but they show very clearly that there are poaching vessels, that, but they label them to say research. But they're not research. They're like killing conveyor belt machines that the speed in which they can suck a whale onto the deck of the ship and kill it and actually almost fillet it is amazing based on the sheer size of the animals that they're killing. It's a very, very fast killing machine. But they're labeled research and everybody knows it. So when we talk about the Japanese whaling vessels, mm -hmm. this is well known in the Southern Ocean that these vessels are not doing research. They know the migration path of the minke whales, which migrate mm -hmm. off the coast. We talked about this in our in the other episode of the mm -hmm. Michelle the Trainer show that Jules was on. So yeah, most people know, they know the, the migration path and they follow it. And then they're able to, again, just like the Patagonian toothfish are targeted because they're in a certain area. The fishermen know when fish are swimming by a certain area. And of course, a whale is a lot easier to spot. So that's the other threat in these same area. What the whaling fleet do is they, well, number one, they've got to have perfect weather, you know, and in Antarctica, you know, you don't find perfect weather a lot. And that's why they only go down there in the summer. They can't go down in the winter because it's all iced over, but they need perfect, clear seas to be able to see the whales, be able to see the spouts. And they also look at areas where there is a, a congregation of krill because, of course, that's where the whales are going to be because they've just finished their migration down the east coast of Australia and they're, they're going down there to feed and they're going down there with their calves to feed. And this is why the whaling fleet know where the whales are going to be. And it's really, it's like shooting goldfish in a pond, to be truthful. Um, it's, it's very sad. And the fact that we have only got one ship down there this year makes it even harder for us to find them because we just don't have the funds to send our whole fleet down. How can people support the Sea Shepherds? And I also wanted to talk about other environmental organizations. I know sometimes we might have relatives or friends that sometimes people give to a certain organization over the years, but sometimes these organizations change. Yes, yes. Look, organizations do change for certain reasons. Sea Shepherd, we're all about the ocean. We're all about awareness. We do what we can. Majority of us are volunteer. I've been with Sea Shepherd since 2008. I am totally volunteer. We're all volunteer and we, at the moment, we are struggling for funds. That's why we've only got one ship down in the Southern Ocean, which I don't think a lot of people really understand. To, to help us out, go online, buy our merchandise. If you see a, a merchandise store, go and buy some merchandise, whether it be a sticker, whether it be a cap or a T-shirt. But we also have what we call our direct action crew. Uh, which is going on at the moment, and for as little as $10 a month, which is, what, two cups of coffee, you can do a monthly donation to Sea Shepherd, to either Sea Shepherd Global or Sea Shepherd Australia. 
If you're living here in Australia, seashepherd.org.au, you go to get involved in its direct action crew. You fill out the, the paperwork. You can either have it taken from a credit card or from just a, an account, a savings account, for as little as $10 a month. People say, oh, $10 a month is not much. If everybody put $10 a month into the direct action crew, that would be a lot of money. It all goes into putting fuel into our ships helping feed the crew, helping feed the mate, do the maintenance on our vessels, getting fuel for our vessels. There's a lot of money. It, it takes a lot of money to run our vessels and to do our campaigns. To run any boat, I don't think that's a surprise to most people. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing better than wearing a Sea Shepherd shirt around town or when you travel or if you're in the airport because people who love the Sea Shepherds will come running up to you to shake your hand because you're wearing a Sea Shepherd hat. It's a consciousness for people who like to see action. I encourage people, you can ask me offline. A lot of the other environmental organizations have kind of changed over time and the changes are critical and they're public, so I can send you links if you ask me later on some of the wildlife <laughs> causes and some of the other ocean causes. The Sea Shepherds are also, give us the list of celebrities that support the Sea Shepherds. Oh, wow. We've got Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, Kelly Slater, Martin Sheen, Christian Bale. Oh, wow. Pamela Anderson. Laura Anderson, Bridget Bardot. Wow. The list goes on. Basically, we've got 007s and <laughs> actors, musicians, Metallica. The list goes on. Moby. And there's different websites. So on Sea Shepherd Australia, you can you know go to the donation thing and there's donate one time, donate monthly. I love to shop to support. I think everybody should have at least five Sea Shepherd shirts <laughs> or jackets in their apparel collection. Because again, it's just great. If actually saving the whales and actually saving endangered species, if you want children to be able to see these species. Jules knows why I'm such a firm supporter because I've seen in my scuba diving career, I mean, I'm not 100 years old, right? But I'm not young. So, you know, in 30 years of diving, which has been longer than that, I have seen species disappear from certain areas. This is how I came to learn about the Sea Shepherds because I started writing letters. I would be diving in Mexico in a place where we used to dive in, eat a scallop, put a bottle of tapatio on a rock, go up, eat the scallop, take a shot of hot sauce, dive back down. And then, you know, a couple of years later, you go back and there's nothing, no scallops, no oysters, no sharks. Here in Los Angeles, we used to shark dive between here and Catalina. Everybody sold all their equipment because no sharks out there anymore to dive with. So species can disappear. And 30 years, even though it seems like a long time to me, is not a very long window historically no no it's not no i you know we're looking at the what at the rate we're going uh we're looking at 20 to 30 years and if we don't change our ways the oceans are going to be in a very very poor state and so are our, our forests with deforestation as well we're basically destroying the planet we live on and the ocean is what 71 percent of the planet 70 percent of the planet it really should be called ocean not earth and we're destroying it at a fast rate we really got to look at also it's the plastics don't 
don't buy, don't get plastic bags. You know, get a, a reusable cloth bag. Wash it, take it back. We don't need plastic bags. The amount of plastic that is around at the moment is, is just shocking. Take your own keep cup. That's another thing that we'll be having, as a matter of fact, which I've got to just put a plug in for, Sea <laughs> Shepherd. Um, <laughs> we've got these awesome keep cups, Sea Shepherd keep cups, which will be going online. I think they're online at the moment. And they will be available at merchandise stores within the next week. And they're awesome. They're really, they're really, really great. So I've just got to put a plug in for our keep cups. Sea Shepherd keep cups. Yeah, How big are on. they? I have a cup problem. How big are they? <laughs> you can get them, I think, in regular and large sizes. Yeah. It's summer where Jules is. She's calling in from Sydney, Australia. It's tomorrow for her. I'm sitting yeah, here in the dark and it's noon at her house. We're in the future here, and it's a beautiful sunny day. <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Jules, for everything. Thank you, Sea Shepherds, for the amazing photos, the amazing story, and the amazing education. I didn't know about the Patagonian toothfish. I didn't know about Chilean sea bass because I no longer eat fish. And I really didn't know that much about the Southern Ocean. Yeah, well, look, it's people like yourselves that are willing to bring the awareness, you know, about what Sea Shepherd does and how we need help. And we do. We know we need funds to keep on going, to keep this ocean going, because I look at the future generation, be very sad for the next generation not to be able to see, you know, a whale in the ocean or a dolphin or, you know, see a beautiful 300-year-old tree still standing and not logged. And that's why I do what I do for Sea Shepherd is because it's my passion. It's always been my passion for a long time and it will continue. And I'll continue to do it as long as I can stand up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank you for everything that you do. We want to encourage everybody to tell their friends, please share the show. If you guys want to buy a boat for the Sea Shepherds, I'll help you make sure that your name could be the next MV of the anti-poaching fleet. Anybody that has a boat, we know, I mean, anybody in California that has a boat, that's why most of us don't have a boat, because we know it's an expensive thing to maintain. But, you know, you can only do so much from behind a desk. I love the fact that they're actually getting out there and getting wet. And, you know, even the education for the crew, it must be amazing and just invaluable just to be out there and actually interact with these species. But actually, again, like the smell of the net. Who would know that? Nobody knows that. Decaying fish and just other animals that are caught in these nets. It was just, a, I wasn't on the campaign. But I've spoken to quite a few crew members that were, they said it was just. No, there's um, nothing like it. There's nothing. I, I helped to remove a dead whale from a beach in Mexico once. And wow, there is oh. nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you want to smell. No. <laughs> no, it's its own yeah, category of, of aroma. Have a very good day, Jules, and thank you so much for coming on. And we will talk to you again soon about, I made a list. We got to talk about albatross and plastic. Yeah, and more boats and more cool boat equipment. Uh, plastics would be a good one to get onto next because that's um, something that is really, yeah, it's it's bad news. Sea Shepherd Australia, we've just started up our new marine debris campaign where each Sea Shepherd Australia chapter are doing um, monthly, bi-monthly cleanups to clean up plastics and the trash that people leave. I um, like to do it before 4th of July here because our beaches in Los Angeles are an embarrassment after mm -hmm. the 4th of July. I don't know if they think their mommy's going to go out there and clean all that shit up, but um, <laughs> it is... It's like, really? I can't believe that civilized people would leave that much of a mess, but they do. We do. They do. They do. Look, pick it up. Put it in a bin. If you can't find a bin, take it back home with you and, and just 
get rid of it, but don't leave it on the don't leave it near the ocean, even in parks. Yeah, hiking and everything, we got to pick it up. Yeah, because it's also land animals that can also be affected. You know, it's not oh, just absolutely the, straws you know, and yeah, the birds putting it in their nests and feeding it to their their chicks. And... Oh no no no! Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jules. I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks, Michelle. All right, bye-bye. Find us at M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Read Michelle's blog posts at engineeringwellness.com. At M-I-C-H-E-L-E Trainer on Twitter. 